fear and insecurity that I'm not good enough, I don't know the right things, and I don't want to make a mistake. And I'm here to just tell you that it's like I'm not that smart. And, and business is not, I'm not, I didn't figure this thing out because I'm a genius. Um, and it's not luck either. It's like a real simple, tried and true, serving people, creating value. But I do a few simple things every single week that continue to drive the needle forward. And I ignore most information. I ignore most tactics and strategies. I'm not As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Brands That Book Show, where we help creative businesses find more clients and build their brands. I'm your host, Davy Jones. Today's guest is Graham Cochran. Graham is an entrepreneur and business coach from Tampa, Florida, who helps people monetize their passions and ideas and get paid to do what they love. Today, Graham shares how creating content helped him build his businesses, tips for creating content of our own, and how to turn visitors who consume our content into clients. I've been, uh, you know, as soon as I came up with this idea for a podcast, you were one of the guys that uh, I wanted to reach out with and and talk to, just because I think you have such an incredible story. I mean, you have so much you have so much stuff going on. I mean, um, with the recording revolution, which this audience might not be particularly familiar with, but you can find a link to that in the show notes, and I would encourage everybody to go and check that out. But you have the recording revolution. Um, you're a great musician. You have music on iTunes. You uh, have just started uh, a new business coaching venture where, you know, I'm sure um, taking everything that you've learned over the last couple of years and sharing that with others. Um, your wife is an incredible entrepreneur as well. I mean, she pretty much um, started, I think, what we would call this styled stock uh, yeah. photography industry. Yeah. Um, and so I imagine that just life together is sort of like one big mastermind group. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. 24 seven. And, and, and in the, like with all of that, and I think you both do this, uh, really well, but even with this newest, uh, venture you started just in, and, and that'll be in the show notes as well. GrahamCochran.com. You publish content so consistently, uh, so well, you know, uh, I just think it's so well done. And, uh, I think that content is one of the most important things when it comes to, um, businesses. So with all that said, I'm, I'm really excited for this interview. And if you could just give us some background, uh, you know, about the recording revolution and how you got started in this whole, you know, entrepreneurship journey. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, I definitely got into it accidentally. I mean, I was like, I wasn't the entrepreneur that was trying to start a business. Um, I, I lost a job <laughs> and started a business out of necessity because um, I couldn't get another job because it was in the middle of the recession. 
So this but is back it, in 2008, right? Yeah, 2000, 2009 was when okay. I actually started the Recording Revolution. To be fair, I was always freelance recording and mixing bands, but it was always like side income. So mm -hmm. in college and out of college for about three or four years, it'd be like two nights a week, I'd have bands over at our little apartment. And then Saturdays, I'd record and mix bands um, before Shay and I had kids. And it was just kind of fun. It was a lot of people in our town. So I was always freelancing, like servicing clients in that realm. But I never wanted to go full time with that. I tried that once years ago, but it, I just got I couldn't handle the lack of stability, <laughs> sure. income, to be honest with you. So I was like, ah, I'll just go get a day job. So that was my only experience with business was freelancing on the side. And then in the recession, when I lost a job, we just moved to Florida um, to help a bunch of friends of ours start a church down here. And I got a new job and then lost that job because the company folded. And uh, I was like, what am I going to do? So I was trying to ramp up freelancing. And so this is where the recording revolution was birthed. It, it's like a blog and it's a YouTube channel where I teach people how to record and mix music. But I started a blog just as a way to get more clients. Uh, I thought, you know what? If I put content out there, if I don't put anything out there, no one's going to know I exist. So if mm -hmm. I put something out there, I have a better chance of somebody finding me and maybe they'll like the music I'm working on with my current clients and they'll, and they'll reach out to me and hire me. And that was the thought. And it did that. But it also became its own beast in and of itself where more people were like, hey, can you make more content on how to do this or record vocals or guitars? They kept asking me all these more specific questions. And I sort of in between clients, since I had no day job, mm -hmm. <laughs> in between gigs, I would shoot some videos, write some articles, email out, uh, get on Twitter and share some stuff. And this whole thing just blew up. It became very exciting. People wanted more. And I, I figured out ways to monetize that, the content side of things. And that's just become a whole new beast of a, of a business that's been really fun to learn and to grow. So um, from uh, start to not end, because Recording Revolution is uh, still exists and is still doing right. as, as well today. Um, but from start to realizing, oh, wow, this is you know, this is a full-time, this is now my full-time job. About how long was that process? Uh, two years. Okay, two years. Yeah, and, and it was a painful two years. I mean, we were um, we were on food stamps for 18 months. Um, Shay was trying to take weddings. I was trying to record bands, but we weren't bringing in nearly enough uh, income. We burned through all our savings, and so I'm just creating content, trying to find a way to monetize it. Um, and I started to make a little bit of money, but it was in. it took 18 months to two years to finally the revenue to hit that point where it was replacing what my previous day job was making. So that, yeah, it was probably a two year process. And during that two year process, like, uh, you, cause you had mentioned that you had given this freelance thing uh, a shot earlier on and, and it just, it didn't work out and you didn't like the, you know, not having that stability. Um, so at what point did you learn like, or did it become, okay, I'm really trying to build this and do this. And like, were you looking for another job during that time? No, that's the funny thing. I wasn't. <clears throat> um, I didn't want. I didn't want another job. I hated having a job. I was. I was basically a uh, a entrepreneur that didn't know it yet, because mm -hmm. I never did well in jobs, um, and I always felt like, you know, locked in, and I wanted to do my own thing, and I just didn't realize this was an entrepreneurial spirit. I just wanted to be a rock star. Is what I thought I wanted to be. <laughs> but <clears throat> it turns out entrepreneurship is almost as fun, if not more fun, than being a rock star. Um, and so I didn't look for a job. I, I tried to freelance my way out of it. And then when I saw momentum with this blog and with the YouTube videos, I thought, man, I know there are people out there that make money blogging. 
like I, this was 2009, 2010, and I, that that was out there that people could mm-hmm. make a living blogging. I just didn't know how, um, and so I was like, I this is probably my only shot to try to figure this out. And if nothing works in at least a year or two, I'll just go get a job. So I tried to figure it out. I wasn't actively looking for a job. So I was actively freelancing and actively trying to build this brand, a recording revolution, to see if I could make it something more than a $500 a month thing. And could I, could I replace my income with that thing? And that was like my, my driving goal. Yeah, and what's interesting is that, you know, it it didn't happen overnight. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, in the midst of that, you, you know, uh, definitely, you probably felt slow going, uh, I would assume, yes. uh, at times. And I mean, uh, you know, being on food stamps and this really being, you know, at the time, maybe your only source of income, um, you, you know, for people out there listening, thinking that things are just going to, just going to happen like that. You know, uh, I think when we see people like you who are really successful, um, we see you from, you know, success on and forget yeah. like, oh, wow, you know, they really hustled and grinded for uh, for years um, to get to that uh, to get to that point. Um, and fortunately, now there's there's people like you who are willing to share your expertise. So maybe it's not quite the hustle, um, you know, <laughs> it had to be for you uh, yeah. for the rest of us. Um, but that's that's fascinating. And, you know, as far as content goes. Uh, I think one thing that people worry about when they're creating content is giving away too much. Mm. Um, you know, as you were creating content for the recording revolution, uh, did that cross your mind? Like, oh man, people are, I mean, they're asking a lot of me right now. Like, where did you draw that line of, oh, I can't give away this for free? I mean, I think it's a common question. Um, when is too much? And you know what? I, I tell people, I tell people that you're thinking backwards. I think if you're afraid of giving too much, you're not going to win. I think you got to do the opposite. You got to give so much that you're really feeling like you're a crazy person, um, because content is like it's like free marketing. It's it's your walking advertisement. It's it's free in the sense it doesn't cost you money. It's it costs you time and effort, but it will pay dividends. So, for example, it's worth making an incredible. In my case, making an incredible video and spending hours to do it once. That five years later, I will still be getting leads from and revenue from because I made something amazing that's going out in the world and helping people. So I had people from day one telling me I was giving too much content away for free. I remember one month I did a a series. I did five minute videos on this topic for every day for the month. So it was 31 videos. It was like two and a half hours of training. And I had people literally just bundled that as a course and sold it instead of giving it all away on YouTube. And to me, is the opposite. It's I'm able to sell courses because I give so much content mm-hmm. away. That's how I've grown so fast and so big is the sheer amount and quality of free stuff that I give away. Otherwise, if I don't give it away, no one will have heard of me, and, if that and, makes sense. Yeah, and I feel like they don't experience that value you know, you're offering so much value and the, and these, you know, light bulb moments for people. Um, and they've got to wonder, you know, okay, well this is the free stuff. So what does the, you know, paid stuff look like? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's something I call the value circle, right? And it's like a simple circle, but this is like the, the, the secret sauce of my business. It's like the foundation of, of the way I, I think about business. Cause it's so simple. It's you, if you have a circle, the very top of the circle is your free offering. You have to give first, no matter what business you're in, whether you sell products like me or services like me. I do both, but you have to give them a taste of who you are. So if it's a if it's a piece of content, that's a free offering. It could be a blog post, it could be a podcast, it could be videos. 
Um, it could be social media posts. Maybe you're very active on social media. You're always teaching and giving and helping for free first. It could also be like a free consultation or like a, a free shoot, a free something. Like you're showing them the goods first, where that's you're transferring risk from them to you. You're saying, look, let mm-hmm. me give you something for free, and you could take it and run. But that's how you do business: is you transfer risk from the potential customer to yourself, so they feel real comfortable. So you give first. That's the first part of the value circle, and it's got to be valuable. I think that's another part. We might not want to skip that. A lot of people give free stuff away, but it's just it's just kind of crap, you know, if you think about it, or it's just thrown together quickly. You want your free stuff to be really, like, better than other people's paid stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Like, yeah. Really good. And I think, you know, like, uh, Shay, for instance, does this, you know, really well. Um, she can show us, uh, you know, how to take these beautiful styled stock images, you know, uh, and that certainly does add value. It's nice to be able to know how to do those kinds of things. But at this, at the end of the day, we're, we're going to go to her because she, you know, because she does it so well, uh, and she has it just kind of on demand. So we're, we're still going to go to her and, and buy those things, even if she were to show us step-by-step how to create those images. Absolutely. But we're afraid to give because we're afraid if we give the good stuff away or give something good away, then they're not going to have a reason to buy. And I just think it's the opposite. If you can get over that fear, giving people are magnetic, they're attractive, their businesses grow, and you're giving someone a taste of like, oh my gosh, this person's amazing. And they will think of you and want to go deeper with you. And that's the second part of the value circle is making a valuable product or service, which if you're listening, I'm, I'm assuming you have, and you're trying to get more people to see the value in that product or service, you got to start by the free offering. And it's, it's always starts with value. And then from there, you want to over deliver. And from there, that leads to income and referrals. And it goes right back up to the top again of another free offering that's amazing. And it's just a beautiful, virtuous cycle that's not centered on you. It's not centered on your business. It's centered on the potential customer or client and just hooking them up from day one. And so this is something that you learned even back, you know, 2009, starting the recording revolution. Do you think that's uh, still relevant today? Do you think content is still, um, the, you know, one of the best ways to grow your business today? Even more so today. Even more so, yeah. There's more content than there was. There always is going to be more. But it's, it's, it's the most important thing you could do for your brand. And you look around, like, Every brand, the Home Depots of the world, like totally different businesses than you, the Home Depots, the Banana Republics, the Apples, whoever it is, they all need content because we're always consuming content on our phones or wherever. They need images that are beautiful. They need posts on social media. They need videos. They, they want to be creating content day one from day one and always because that's how people see them, discover them, or remember them or keep them top of mind. So creating valuable content. And it doesn't have to be educational stuff like mm-hmm. I do. It can be motivational stuff. It can be entertainment. That's content as well. Some of the biggest YouTube platforms is just funny people on YouTube. But they are creating content. Um, it could be um, you know, a little taste of the product. I mean, it could be anything, a little taste of the service. But yeah, content is the key because otherwise no one's going to know about you. You know, and then what people are doing is, and I'm I'm not going to go on a soapbox here, but just as another example, people are jumping to like Facebook ads to get leads, and that's because they don't have a content strategy. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I guess I have to buy leads, and I'm not saying you shouldn't ever buy leads. I'm just saying like, it's a lot simpler than that. You don't need to give Facebook your money. You need to give people free good content and commit to it and own it and make it valuable, and it'll be your own lead generation machine versus having to pay Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> yeah. to get leads. And if, and if you don't have something that's, that's valuable to give away, it doesn't matter how many Facebook ads you run, you know, they're not going to, those leads aren't going to generate into anything. Exactly. But one thing that you mentioned that I thought was 
um, you know, interesting and maybe something that we should pause and talk about is uh, what we think content is. Because I think people um, often think, oh, content, you know, he means blogging, you know, and I hate blogging or blogging's hard because so many people now have blogs. Um, would you say, like, what, what, uh, what do you think is like the most valuable kinds of content that people can be putting out there today? Does it have to be blogging? No, it doesn't have to be blogging. I, I would say, um, do what you like to do. So, cause they're all successful. They're all winning right now. Blogging mm-hmm. is people say blogging is dead. It's not dead. Uh, there are some massive blogs just continuously generating leads and millions of dollars a year through just good old blog posts. Sure. And ironically, Blo- people who are, are, they're often blogging that blogging is dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's the, that's Thank the grand of irony out. of it all. Oh, it's so sad. So blogging is alive and well. Podcasting, which I thought died in 2006, came back like in 2012, 13, 14, 15. It's alive and well. We're doing a podcast right now. So if you would rather just get on and talk and share, if you're a really gifted communicator, it might be faster and easier for you to just get a microphone and hit record and go. Um, that's people love podcasting because they're commuting to work and they can just listen to it and consume it. Video is growing. So if you if you're really good on camera, if you really connect with people, um, having that eye that visual eye contact and hearing their voice and seeing their face looking at you can be very powerful. But if the video is overwhelming to you and it's easier for you to just grab your laptop and go to Starbucks and bang out a post where you don't need lighting, you don't need it to be quiet, you could do it on a plane, then blogging is good. Or if none of those are good, own social media. Pick one platform and say, I'm going to own Instagram in my niche or I'm going to own Facebook or wherever you are and then con- commit to creating content there because the point isn't the medium because they're all really working great right now. And you can come up with a million examples of people who are winning in all of those. It's more about what can you commit to consistently and fits your your talents and your workflow. So for me, I do a little bit of all of it, but I found I really – my content also does well on video. And I like the videos because I can just hit record and go for like the recording revolution stuff. The video content for my new brand for the business coaching stuff takes a lot more work than the recording revolution stuff for me. And Is I there a reason what, that it takes a more work than – well, I feel mostly because I feel like the concepts are are harder to teach. Mm-hmm. Um, like on the audio, it's very to me, it's like super black or white. Like do this, do that. In business, there's a lot more junk I have to get people through. A lot of sure. bad advice, uh, you know, bad um, tactics and strategies, mindsets, insecurity. So I have to navigate a lot. Believe it or not, just to talk about business. So mm-hmm. I, I have to do a lot more time outlining the content and really zeroing in on what am I going to say. And then um, filming it, you know, after lighting and all that kind of stuff. But to me, I made that decision because I like to be on camera and I like to communicate that way and I like to consume content that way. But if that's too much of a hassle for you, you could do any one that fits your skill set and fits what you can commit to regularly. Because that's the thing that I think people get wrong is um, they're like, oh, Graham, I don't want to blog all the time every day. And I'm like, dude, don't. (laughs) <laughs> you don't need to. It doesn't matter how much you make content. It's, it matters is are you consistent? Will you still be making good content 10 years from now or not? If you will, you're, you're going to win. If, if you're going to burn out after six months of making an amazing podcast and giving up, then that's not a good strategy. I'd rather you drip it out over you know once a week or mm-hmm. every two weeks, but consistently be able to deliver than just going buck wild and getting overwhelmed. Yeah, I think so much of it is uh, that, that consistency and persistency in showing up. 
you know, and doing the work and realizing, you know, as we mentioned earlier, it's not necessarily going to happen overnight. But if you continue to show up and you continue to provide value, you know, wherever that that value is and through whatever medium, you know, I think eventually people are going to show up and people are going to start listening. Um, but moving uh, moving backwards a little bit, so you know, especially maybe talking about the recording revolution and even now, um, how do you decide like what kind of content? you know, to create. One thing that I've always been, uh, you know, so surprised about, uh, I think that a lot of times in business, the assumptions that we make uh, are, are wrong initially, you know, or they're not as true as we thought they would be. And so, um, you know, for me, I just found it's, it's uh, been an important skill to develop realizing, okay, this isn't working. Why isn't this working? You know, and, and trying to figure out, okay, what is it that people want to consume? How did you go about doing that uh, so su- successfully in the recording revolution and now successfully in, you know, GrahamCochran.com? No, that's a great question. Um, and I think you're right. We're wrong. Our assumptions are generally wrong. Um, so I tell people, don't guess, just ask. And so create a culture in, in the way you run your business where you're always checking in on social media. You know, it could be just an Instagram story post like, hey, like I was coaching a client the other day and I was like, just get on Instagram and ask, um, you know, if you could sit down and have coffee with me and ask me one thing that's frustrating about one thing that's frustrating you right now, what would you ask me about? Um, cause we were trying to figure out what kind of content for her to create. And so it's just a simple question on social and she'll get all these responses of like, Oh, I really want to know how you do this or what about this? Or I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. And we get Google doc pages mm-hmm. of word for word. They're telling you what they want. And then what you do is you just go, make content on those topics and when the content comes out people they'll email you and say oh my gosh you read my mind this is exactly what i need and and it's just because you asked them and they told you and you went and built it for them so i just that's sort of the the it's an ongoing thing like it's mm-hmm. not like you pull your email list once you know it's not like a survey that you do once it's like a culture of always checking in with them and then always looking if you post social media posts or if you send out emails like which ones get open the most which ones get the most engagement what do people really like um what do they respond to and being aware and then saying you know there's a million things i could create content on but if i just ask people and they tell me what they really want to know or what they really love to consume don't reinvent the wheel just give the people what they want and you'll probably over time this is why making content for a long time helps you even if you're not doing a lot of training and tutorials like I am, but just being a voice out there for long enough, you start to discover your voice. You start to discover your wheelhouse. You start to discover the few topics or trends or the the one thing you said that people are like, man, the way you explain that or your stance on this is so unique. You don't know till you put it out there and then see what comes back. You start to learn yourself, I think, from creating content over time. And then you can just kind of dial in from there. So I'm always asking my people to tell me what to make. Yeah, and I think that um, a lot of people feel like they have to have that kind of stuff figured out before they ever create content. Um, But I love that point that this is the kind of thing that you're going to figure out once you jump in and do you know, and yeah. you might write a couple blog posts thinking that they're going to be hits and they're not. And it's, it's, you know, don't give up then, you know, you figured yeah. out part of it. This is what people are not interested in, you know, and, and you make those tweaks and move on. But Along the lines of asking, what are, um, do you have any tips for figuring out, like p- people give you information. They say, oh, I'd love to hear this. Or, I, you know, I, I have this question for you. Um, and sometimes I find that some questions, I could, I could answer them, but maybe they're not really in my wheelhouse or they're not really what I want to do. Uh, how do we figure out within the answers that we get back where we should focus? Does that make sense? 
Yeah, I mean, if if you like polled your audience informally to get a feel for what they want they want right now, service wise or what they need help with, if you see you want to spot trends, mm-hmm. right? Because everyone's gonna have a million different things that they want from you. Just like if Apple asked their customers or followers what products they they should build, you're gonna get people asking for random stuff. Like build a drone, <laughs> build build a, sure. you know whatever. They're not gonna build everything everyone asks for, but they're gonna look for trends. Like wow, it seems like over half the people really seem to want um, you know a a a new type of phone or like, a, mm-hmm. like for a while it was like they want a bigger phone. They yep. they want two choices of phone. like whenever they see the trends that like we should probably pay attention to the vast majority of people asking about this thing. So you want to look for trends, but if if you see something that's not in your wheelhouse, I would ignore it unless it's the dominating trend. If mm-hmm. everyone's asking you for something, you have to pay attention to it. And then if it's not in your wheelhouse, you have to find a way to address it in the sense of like, am I going to just not cover this or address this? Or can I partner with someone who can strategically address this and we can have a cool partnership? Um, For example, for me, um, I don't teach um, my audience in the recording space how to develop themselves as an artist or a band, like how to get signed on a record deal or how to get more shows booked or how to get more fans streaming your music. That's not really the area of music I focus on, but I get those questions a lot. Because mm-hmm. these, I'm teaching people how to record their songs, and now they really want to grow their their fan base, and they're like, "What do I do next?" And everyone wants that information, but that's not my wheelhouse. So I've partnered with, uh, well, it's a guy named Rick Barker. He's Taylor Swift's original manager. Oh wow! And when when she like rocketed to stardom, and he he teaches this stuff now. He's a really really smart guy, and we've partnered strategically where he doesn't teach recording stuff to his audience, and I don't teach you know, promoting your band to my audience. And so we collaborate when it's, when it's relevant and he's created some content for my audience. That's well, why don't you just learn from this guy? He got Taylor Swift to the top, you know, learn from him. And then he promotes my stuff to his audience and it's a good partnership. So that might be a good way to go if it's what everybody wants and it's not in your wheelhouse. But here's the good news. If you're creating content, create content that you love as long as it's what other people want. Mm-hmm. Don't just make what you love and then hope it sticks. You have to know if it's something people want. But if you get a list of and half the people want something and you really like to talk about that, then you've you found a winner. Give them that kind of content because you're going to be creative and innovative. And that's probably going to attract more like-minded people. And you don't need to be for everyone. You just need to be for the people that really like you and like what you like. But it does start with them first, not with you. You don't want to just blog about what you care about. You want to blog about what's going to serve people or podcast or post on social or whatever. Yeah, and so there's some intersection there between the things that you're passionate about and the things that other people are passionate about. Uh, and again, I, th- I think it's just so important to, you know, as you said, to show up consistently there um, because it's going to take some time, you know, sometimes to figure that th- that kind of stuff out. And I don't think you need a huge audience uh, in the beginning, you know, to grow into a hu- huge audience. If you serve those people well who are showing up on your blog or your channels, you know, I think that can lead to that, you know, that leads to great word of mouth and people saying, oh, you know, you know, you know, who knows about this topic? You should go here. They, yeah. they provide some some great stuff on their on their website or their vlog or, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it might be. Hey, friends, we're going to take a quick 60 second break so I can introduce you to one of my favorite companies and the sponsor of this episode, Show It. Show It is a drag and drop website building platform created especially for photographers and creative entrepreneurs. It's used by some of the biggest names in the creative industry from Amy and Jordan Demos to Caitlin James, and it's what we built our website on too. 
What's awesome about ShowIt is that it's both powerful and easy to use. The intuitively designed website builder makes it easy to change colors, fonts, images, and objects. Finally, a website you can update on your own without having to hire a designer for every tiny change. It's Google friendly and you can design the desktop and mobile versions of your website side by side to ensure your website looks great on any device. And you can even integrate a WordPress blog with your show at website, making it that much more powerful. And guess what? They have tons of free and premium professionally designed te website templates to help you get started. But what makes ShowIt such a special company is their customer support. They're super responsive and are there to help every step of the way. You can even save 10% on an annual subscription by using the code BTBSHOW. For more information, check out the show notes. And now, back to our episode. Whatever it might be. So, do you have any tips? Because, you know, I feel like you're publishing videos all the time. And maybe, and maybe that's... Um, that's because you're on Facebook Live, you know. I see on Instagram Live, uh, and then you have videos that come out on your on your blog, and then generally corresponding with the video on your blog, you have a, a written blog post around it. Do you have any tips for generating content so consistently, um, and and it seems like efficiently as well? Yeah, I mean, part of it's an illusion, right? So part of it is the illusion of of always creating content. And so I've experimented with that for years. Um, I used to post three times a week for the first four years. And then I dropped that down to two times a week to see if it made any difference. Did traffic fall off? Did people care? Nobody cared or noticed. Mm -hmm. So I was like, great, that saved me some time. And then uh, I dropped down to one post a week a few months ago for Recording Revolution. Same thing to see if anybody cared. Does traffic really dip? Not really much. So it's sort of that 80-20 rule of like, I'm not really losing much, but I'm saving so much more time. So I have found that for me, one time a week is a really great rhythm because it feels like every week Graham's publishing something because that's literally what I'm doing, one, yeah. basically, which is once a week. <laughs> sure. But it's only one piece of content. So like with the new brand, Graham Cochran stuff, I want to teach people everything I know about business for the last almost nine years. But I said, I can't make videos all day long. I already have a business that I run called The Recording Revolutions. This is like a second, this is like a, my, my passion project of like, I want to make time for this. It's important, but it can't take up all my time. So mm -hmm. how can it be efficient? I'm like, well, weekly will be great. So it's really simple. I, you know, you outline 50 topics. You just go to Starbucks one day, you drink a lot of espresso and you're like, what's 50 things I could talk about? Um, and there's a year's worth of content basically, if you're going to do one thing a week. And now I have a list of really, really good stuff that I could pull from at any point. I could always change it up or add something. But I got a running list. That's step one. That way you're not having to come up with something every week because mm -hmm. you waste time doing that. And you're not always in a creative mode to be able to come up with something. So I have to get out of my office, come up with brainstorming ideas, and then I'll make them later. But then for me, I've, I'm a very like scheduled person so that I have the freedom to do what I want to do with my life. So every Monday morning at 9 a.m., I come in and make content for Recording Revolution. Um, and I'm done by two in the afternoon. Every Tuesday now I'm making content for GrahamCochran.com and it's again nine to two and I'm done. And that's where I'm creating the one main piece of content and I'm, I'm usually a week ahead so mm -hmm. something goes live that day too but I'm a week ahead. But then once it's out, I'm gonna email it out to my list. I will jump on Instagram live and just talk about the same things in the video. I'll just like highlight one of the points. It'll be a little more casual. Maybe I'll answer some questions. I'll jump on Facebook a couple days later or the next day. But I like Facebook live and Instagram live because I just like to just turn it on and roll and just talk. Um, and it's, it's basically getting the same message 
for that week out there a couple different ways. It seems like I'm active. It seems like I'm available, but I really don't spend much time on social media or on email or in making content. I, I literally put on the blinders most of the week, but in those four five hours on Tuesday, that's what I'm all about making this really good video for Graham Cochran. And then I forget about it and move on. Yeah. And the, you know, I, I feel like content has, um, you know, more legs than we think that it's going to have, you know, I think sometimes, you know, people publish something to their blog post, uh, you know, to their blog and then just expect, okay, well, people read that there. So I can't talk about it anywhere else because then people will just feel like I'm saying the same thing over and over again. And that's very rarely the case. Like, do you, have you ever had somebody show up on a Facebook live and be like, dude, you know, you're talking about this again? No, never. Um, and it's funny, uh, Ramit Sethi is a talented speaker and author and uh, voice in the entrepreneur space, but he said something that resonated with me a few years ago that like blew my mind. He was talking about this exact thing about like, well, if I if I get invited to speak somewhere and I've, I'm talking about a topic that I already have a course on and I've, my book is about and that blog post is about and what if they've heard me talk about that before or previously and he said, man, you should be so lucky that someone gets to hear your message twice or hear your <laughs> thing twice. Most people don't get any audience. And if so, if someone hears you twice, you should be so lucky. And it was just like a shift in my mind of, you know what? I I suffered from over-publishing. I published so much content but under-promoted. Mm-hmm. So I had so much going out, but then it got buried in my blog. Nobody knew about it. What a waste. Um, and I'm I'm shifting. Over the years, I've gone the opposite. Now I make, I make less content, still consistently, and I still like weekly, ideally for me. But now I'm trying to do a better job of promoting. And then I'll dig back an old post and bring it back out and remind people or jump on social and talk about a thing that's still relevant today that I maybe posted about four months ago because someone is new and they've never seen it before. They've never thought about it before. And it's just repurposing content um, that's still valuable because it's not about old or new. It's about is it valuable or not? And that's what matters. Yeah. And a lot of, especially a lot of the stuff that you're creating, uh, you know, not only for a couple of months, but I imagine for a couple of years would be, would be valuable, especially, I mean, some of these principles are things that you learned when you were starting the recording revolution back in 2009 that are probably still as relevant today as they oh, were yeah. back then. And then in addition to that, I think for some people, it's a matter of hearing it multiple times through different mediums, said a different way, you know, and so maybe, you know, where, you know, somebody's listening to one of your videos and it doesn't click then, but they see you on Instagram live and in a casual way, you've rephrased it a little bit and then all of a sudden it clicks. And absolutely, we found even with photography, there's a couple of weddings that we've shot. They're still some of our favorite weddings. There were beautiful weddings, you know, type of clients that we want to work with, uh, type of weddings we want to shoot. And, you know, back in 2014, why wouldn't we share that today? It's not like those pictures are any less good than they were, yeah. you, know, uh, you know, back then. So I think that's so valuable is that your content has more, you know, um, more live time than uh, yes. more life than you would, uh, than, than people generally expect. But, you know, with that said, do you have like a, do you have kind of a formula that you work on or do you just kind of jump on, do you make sure you hit different platforms? Um, how does that work? For sharing content? Yeah, for sharing content. So you have your, your main piece of content. Uh-huh. What are your your primary vehicles for getting that content out there? What are your primary channels? Yeah, so um, for the recording revolution, historically it's been the content goes up in two places. It goes up in YouTube because a lot of it's video-based, and then I embed that obviously in the blog. And in the beginning, I had written articles and videos, and I felt like both were getting traffic. I saw over the years that YouTube has become my biggest source of traffic. So just by 
posting the videos every week there, it's almost like a social media platform and people are finding it, sharing it. So it kind of is built in social media over there. That's my biggest following is on YouTube for that. But I would every week for that, it's post it on the site, email it to my list, which is something I didn't do for years. I figured they're already on my list. I won't bug them. They're probably going to go to the site anyway and check it out because they bookmarked it and they watch it, my stuff every day. And and it turns out people don't go to my site every day. They've got busy lives and they don't really care about me that much. So I realized if I email it out to them, even though they're already on my list, they're like, oh my gosh, thank you for sharing. This is a really good post. And it only establishes that relationship. They might become a client or a customer in the future. So sharing with my email list, number one, and then I would put it on Facebook and Twitter was all I've been doing for Recording Revolution. Instagram came along, and that's because it was the age when I started it. It was 2009, and it was just YouTube and Facebook, and then Twitter was really in its infancy then, and I hated Twitter at the time because I didn't get it, um, and then, but I got on it because that's where everybody was at the time, so those things I hit hard. For the Graham Cochran stuff, I'm still figuring that out. I like Instagram now because it's less crowded and cluttered, um, and I, I like what I love is the stories in this Instagram live because I like talking to people. I love the live aspect. I love how quick and casual it is. Um, so I'm playing with that, but what I don't love is that Instagram live stories disappear. Yeah. And so you make the content once and it's gone. And whereas a Facebook live, I could do the same thing and it lives on forever. So it has a little more longevity there. So I'm doing both Instagram and Facebook, I kind of decided to not focus on Twitter for this new brand. I thought I would because it's my personal favorite is Twitter, but mm-hmm. it's just too much for me. Um, and it's it's not really a good use of my time to just spread myself over all these social media platforms. I really should ideally pick one and be there all the time. That makes sense, all the time that I have to give. But right now it's Instagram and Facebook are where I'm just resharing the stuff and just engaging a little bit with them. Yeah, and the nice thing about Instagram and, and Facebook is that they're you know they're integrated pretty well. I mean, obviously because you know Facebook owns Instagram and all and all of that. And I will say about Instagram, one thing that I've liked, uh, and I think it's a relatively new feature. Or maybe I just noticed it uh, recently. But on the business accounts, you can you know save your stories into, and I forget what they're called. You know, oh, your highlights. Memory. Yeah, your highlights. That's right. Um, and so so there they live on a little bit more, um, and you can kind of create different categories of those. Um, yes. So we've been uh, getting into that a little bit more and exploring that feature some more, just because it, like you said, it, it provides a little bit more longevity for for those stories uh, instead of them dis- disappearing um, after 24 hours. Yeah, they don't do that with the live ones, though. I wish they did. Like, they oh, they don't do that with the live highlight ones. your regular stories. Yeah, but yeah. maybe they'll change that. Yeah. Um, so for video, how did you get comfortable with video? You know, one of the things that I'm, this is one of my goals. I've said it on a couple different, uh, d- different episodes now, but one of my goals for the year is to get more comfortable with video. And I feel like that's why I like writing so much is I can go back and I can revise a blog post as many yes. times as, <laughs> as many times as I want. You're only going to see, you know, what's, what's a pretty polished version. Yes. Whereas with video, you know, I'm like, oh man, that's not good enough. I look silly there. And then I, you know, I feel like I have to do it all over again. So how did you get so comfortable, you know, talking on video and, and publishing uh, that? And you do it, you know, you do it so well. Oh, yeah, I would tell anybody, thank you, I would tell anybody to go to the Recording Revolutions YouTube channel and look for the oldest YouTube videos you can find <laughs> on that channel. Sort it by date, go to the oldest ones and look at how awful they are. Look at how, well, the, the video quality is awful for one, but, but let's just take quality aside. Like I sound bored, I look like a deer in the headlights. Um, it's just awful. I'm so awkward on camera back in 2009, early 2010. So you learn it, 
you get more comfortable. I mean, if you think about shooting a video, it is a awkward thing to look at a camera lens and talk to it. It's just strange. You're talking yeah. to yourself. There's nothing natural about it. So there's, I don't think there's anyone that comes out of the womb naturally able to get in front of the camera. Even if they get it quickly, it's awkward at first. So you, it's like we were talking about. You have to just do it and make some stupid videos, some ugly videos, some awkward videos. But just be, if you're in it to win it for the long term, then you know you're going to get past the awkward phase. You know, mm. if you're if you're not in it to win it for the long term, then you're going to have you're you're, you're going to be identified as awkward because you're going to stay awkward and then close up shop. So you never get past awkward. So you got to have a long term mentality. You got to commit to regularly doing it, and you'll get better, and you'll learn pacing. You'll learn how to interact with people. You'll learn simple things like don't talk to the collective you. Talk to the singular you and 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 the one person who's listening or watching it has more impact you learn some of those things just by like you know what that does make more sense if i make it zeroed in and and you develop your personality on camera because everyone's different so that's the other thing too is you might watch someone who's great on camera and they're really funny and they're really witty and they're really bubbly and you're like man that's not me mm-hmm. you know i'm more introverted i'm more serious and that's okay you, you, the only thing on camera, you do have to pump it up a little bit more, but you don't have to be someone you're not because, again, you're not trying to attract people that are different in mm-hmm. the sense that you want to attract the right person. And some people are attracted to more serious people than they are to the bubbly person. So you can kind of develop your own voice too. And I do feel like there's more out there now to to practice and play around. I mean, even the Instagram stories – that's a place that I'm trying to show up a little bit more because, like you said, it does disappear out of 20, after 24 hours. So you get on there, you do your thing, you get great practice, you're getting in front of people, but at the same time, it, it, it does it, it fades away, and then you're you know you got a brand new slate um, the next day. That's a great point. So there is point. and and technology, it's just easier I think to make video than it was you know even five years ago. You know you have oh absolutely you can make it with your phone and you can still have a quality uh, quality video. Absolutely. So one of the big things that I want to talk to you about is transitioning from creating this content that, that people are consuming for free to getting, getting paid, you know, whether it's somebody yeah. booking your service or buying your product or whatever it looks like. Um, do you have any tips, you know, for, you know, for getting people to, to start buying from you? Yeah, I mean... It, it depends on what you sell in a lot of ways because mm-hmm. the, the, the method will be a little different. But one thing I think that's consistent for all people, product or service or whatever you offer, is you, is don't underestimate the power of your email list. I think that email gets underplayed in this age of social media of like, oh, you, you know, you got to have a big Instagram following to grow your business. It's a big email list. Big email list because Instagram is just like Facebook, same company, right? They can change the algorithms, and they do, and they did again this, this year. Um, so your your posts will show up in fewer and fewer people's feeds if Zuckerberg and company decide that's what they want to do. You don't have control over actually the audience that you've built there. So you could build 100,000 followers on Instagram and then next year lose access to interact with them based off of a company's change in policy. And that's their prerogative because it's mm-hmm. their land you're playing in. Or they'll start to make Instagram like Facebook. Well, pay us. We'll boost your Instagram post so then people will see your stuff. Um, that's a When that happened to Facebook, it just proved for me. My, my web traffic cut in half because I, I wasn't doing ads or anything. I was just posting my stuff there. But now mm-hmm. 3 to 10% of my followers see my stuff. Um, Even if they've liked your email, page. Email, on the other know? hand. 
oh yeah, these are, yeah. I have a hundred thousand followers on Facebook and most of them will never see what I post Yeah, just because the rules changed. They're like, did you stop posting? I'm like, no, it's just Facebook and I'm not going to pay Facebook. Yeah. I don't want to play that game because I just feel like it's, but it's, they're, they're allowed, I'm not mad at them. It's a business, Sure, but, um, that's, it's, they're a playground. So if you build your business on social media, just know you're building it on someone else's playground. Mm -hmm. If you build your email list, however, you own that list. It's your playground. You can email them directly in their inbox whenever you want, even if Facebook closes its doors, even if no one's on Instagram in 10 years and they're all moved to something else. Like Email has been here the longest and continues to be used and is the most effective way to reach out to people. So the mistake a lot of business owners make is they focus on a social media following without focusing on building their email list when that's where your clients are going to come from. It's not that you don't want to do social media. It's helpful in branding and being top of mind. But use social media only as a means, I think, to get people on your email list because that's where you can then, the moment you've got a discount on your service or you've got, you're doing new types of, doing fall mini sessions or you've got whatever you want to promote, you can quick email. Hey, just letting everybody know we're doing this this fall. We've got these many openings for weddings. Instantly, you can show up in thousands of people's inbox and they're like, oh yeah, that's great. So I would say start by building your email list. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, you know, especially... People that do something like wedding photography, where there's a a short, there's a shorter time that you can nurture those, yes. uh, you know, those those people on your email list uh, before they buy, because you can't spend, you know, if we're if we're selling a website, for instance, you know, if somebody spends, if somebody signs up to our email list, I might spend two years nurturing them before they ever before they ever purchase something from me. With weddings, it's a little different because yeah. you can't you can't spend two years. The person's already going to be married by then, but. I mean, yeah. think about a contact form. I mean, really what you're trying to do is get their email, you know? And so if you're offering somebody something that's valuable to them as they're getting ready to get married, you know, or as they're in that process, they just got engaged and you can get their email address, then all of a sudden you can follow up with them and say, hey, you know, I noticed you downloaded that. Are you planning your wedding? Are you looking for a photographer? Are you looking for a planner? Um, you know, can I, uh, can I help uh, in any way? And so I think it's still an effective strategy uh, for somebody who's dealing with maybe a shorter you know, sales cycle, uh, so to speak. Um, but especially for somebody who is a family photographer and people are going to be wanting, um, you know, Christmas mini sessions for uh, their, yep. you know, pictures for their Christmas card every single uh, year, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about, I, I think about other when I try to think about how this would work for my business, I try to think about other uh, industries that are totally different than mine. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking about like like a realtor. Let's say I'm a realtor and I need more clients. Um, one way to get more clients, and I've seen smart realtors do things like this, is you build a website where you start to create content on the housing market, you know, uh, trends, how to sell your home, buy your home, get your home ready to sell. But you have a, a clear, on your website, you have a clear offer like, download this free guide to learn how to sell your next home or sell your home for 20% more than the average sale price. Mm -hmm. This is something free and valuable to someone who's looking to sell their home and hire a realtor. They may not hire you, but they're going to download your guide to learn how to sell their house for 20% more. They're going to read it. If it's good, they're going to be like, dude, that guy was legit. And it's they can take it and technically go hire another realtor to sell their house. That's the transfer of risk you're giving first. But who do you think they're going to want to hire if they really need to pick somebody? Some other realtor that they don't really know or someone who's already given them five steps to sell their house for 20% more. They, they have trust with that guy that gave them the guide or that gal. So they're going to probably 
want to hire that person. And that's, that's how, you know, if you're listening to this, that's how I would say to think is what does my target customer, my ideal client want that I could give them for free right now that would establish trust. They would download it in a heartbeat and they would exchange their email address for it. That way, at the very least, I'm building goodwill, adding value, but now I can contact them, like you said, whenever there's something new I want to offer. And one thing I, I do want to uh, I want to talk about, kind of along these lines, that I think you do really well on your website um, and in general, is uh, is your call to action. You know, um, especially when creating content. Uh, again, just kind of this expectation that we're going to put something up. You know, it's going to be on our blog. A bunch of people are going to go read it, and then they're just going to know. Oh, I need to I need to reach out to that person, or I need to you know do this. And and I think we forget people need to know exactly what the next step is that they should take. So, you know, like if you go on your, if, if we go on your website, um, we're going to see um, your free audio training. And it's going to be very clear that this is, you know, this is where we're being, this is where we're being directed. Like what are th- some things that you think about as you're creating a call to action for your, uh, for your audience? Yeah, you're absolutely right, David. You have to give them a next step. And I missed this for about four years. I would make content and then just end like that. And that's how you record vocals. <laughs> Goodbye. I didn't even ask for a comment. I just was like, I'm the teacher and now you've learned it. Um, again, I'm a slow learner, but I'm getting better. But the call to action is so important because after the end of a piece of content, even if it's just an encouraging post on social, you want to engage them. You want to get a relationship going and you could ask them to comment, hey, let me know your thoughts. What do you think about this? That would be a simple call to action. Leave a comment below. Let me know what's the number one thing that you struggle with as it relates to losing weight or, you know, getting ready for a, you know, your wedding or whatever it is, you can ask them to engage with a comment. But what really is going to drive your business is get them on your email list. So I, most of my content that goes out there, I'm always ending with, I just gave you something valuable. Let me give you something else valuable. If you like this, you know, so if I'm doing a video on grahamcochran.com is a great example. And I'm teaching you, uh, how to get more traffic to your website. At the end of that video, I might say, look, not only do you need more traffic to your website, but you're probably gonna try to wanna be able to monetize that traffic and turn them into customers or clients when they get there. And how do you do that? How do you monetize your thing? Well, let's go a little bit further and let me give you my free audio training called Get Paid to Do What You Love. And in this training, I'm gonna walk you through the three steps to turn your ideas and knowledge and what you love to do into a monetized business. And it's free, it's 45 minutes, download it here. And so I'm offering them another valuable thing. That's the call to action is let me give you something else. Why don't you take this thing? But to get that thing, they have to just enter their email address. Um, so it's another step in the relationship. So always uh, content needs to have a purpose. And it's, the first purpose should be to serve and to, to add value. And then it should end with a purpose, which is to get people to go deeper with you in the relationship. Give them the opportunity. And I didn't take that opportunity for years. I've got hundreds of videos on YouTube that are great, but they don't have any call to action. It's only in the last few years that I got better at that. Um, but that's how I built my email list even bigger, and that's how I built revenue even bigger. So I would say, yeah, definitely give something more valuable. And, and if you don't know what to give, think about just like read one of your blog posts or listen to a podcast of your own and say, what would what would be something cool I could naturally like give to them at the end of this specific episode or this article that would take them deeper and it might give you an idea of what kind of content you could offer for free. And as you did, as you started to add call to actions to the end of your uh, different pieces of content, what effect did that have on your business? Oh I man, I'll tell you. Um, 
last year, 2017, I, I really got more, even more intentional in my call to actions. Um, I used to be like a generic, you know, join my email list, you mm-hmm. know, if you want to know more, get my best stuff. I turned it from generic that to I created a bunch of different free valuable things that were more relevant to the video and say, hey, why don't you download this if you want to go deeper with this. I quadrupled my opt-in rate. For a few months, it was five times the normal amount of people who are opting in, which means my list grew substantially very quickly. And then that gets more people through my sequence where I'm able to offer them courses and, and trainings and stuff and sales. So it's been a hu- it's been night and day because if you think about it, if some if you are so lucky to quote me, if you're so lucky <laughs> that someone's watching your video or reading your article or listening to your podcast, then you know the they clearly like what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So don't just stop. Give them something else to go deeper that's free. Don't say like if you like this article, why don't you buy my thing? I don't think selling works really well in a blog post. I don't think selling works really well in a video, like a, in like a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. They're not in the, the mindset to buy. They're in the mindset to learn and enjoy and consume. So selling works better, I think, in email. Yeah. So get them on your email list by offering them something new and just get that process going. And that, and that, I think that makes sense too. Like in a in a blog post, um, a blog post might be the first time they ever hear of you, you know, or they exactly. might still be getting, you know, getting to know you or or becoming familiar. You know, I think it's often compared to uh, dating, you know, uh, yeah. and that would be, uh, you know, early on in the relationship. But it makes sense, you know, when somebody's ready to give you uh, their email address. At that point, they know you and they trust you. They've most likely consumed something from you that has been valuable for them already. So they trust you a little bit more. And so I love, you know, I love what you're saying there about a call to action being, um, you know, relevant to that stage of uh, that stage of a relationship uh, that you're in with uh, with that person. Uh, and that's why, you know, on the homepage, um, it's maybe not uh, necessarily the best place to say, "Hey, book me now." You right. know, uh, that's probably because when somebody lands in your home page, especially for the first time and they're just getting a, a sense of, you know, what you do and what you have to offer, it makes more sense to give them an awesome audio training, uh, telling them, you know, how they can get paid to do what, uh, what they love. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. People, the average attention span when they land on your website, if you're lucky enough that someone gets to your website, again, if you're lucky enough that they get there, they're gone in less than five seconds on average. So you got to be very strategic. What are you going to show them? What are they going to read at the very top? You know, you're not going to want to talk about yourself. You're not going to say, follow me on Instagram. You're you're missing an opportunity if you don't have a giant, amazing, benefit-driven headline at the top offering them something valuable for free. Give me your email address and I'll send this guide to you, a free consultation, whatever, right away. That's that's your best chance. And that's what your website should exist to do is to capture email addresses. Because then, and only then, can you – let them know about other great blog posts you have or other podcasts or eventually services and, and products. So this is – I look at so many people's websites and they're like a one giant business card. It's like mm-hmm. a giant digital business card and it looks beautiful but it's not functional the way it should be. The most important function of a website for a brand is to capture an email address. And if you don't believe me, go to Home Depot, go to <laughs> Banana Republic, go to any major retailer or wherever you like to buy stuff and see what little thing pops up. What do they want? They don't want. To, they don't pop up and say, "Follow us on Facebook." They pop up and say, "Get ten percent off your first order by entering your email address." Everybody wants an email address because they know that that's the most important thing. Because I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go back to Banana Republic, but then I'm gonna get their emails every week. Sale, President's Day sale on, you know, khakis. It's like, oh, okay. 
they can stay in touch with me now because they have my email address. And I don't even remember when they got it, but it was probably something valuable. They gave me like a discount or something. And that's, I think that's a giant missed opportunity for brands is misuse of their website. Yeah, I mean, jQuery won't even let me leave without me giving them an email address. I'll be like, hey, yeah, you actually already have it, knowing that they're just going to be like, no, give it, to, give it to us anyway, as if they need to like put that in for the cash register to work. You know? Yeah, they, they might because a corporate might want that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, you know, and they and they push it. And, and so, you know, uh, like you said, I think if you just look around, there's a reason why all these companies are collecting your email address. And before that, they were collecting your physical address. Yes. Because direct mail, believe yes. it or not, was an effective way of, yes. of selling things to people. Um, and now that's, you know, I think the the, uh, the next step of that was, you know, email. And that's still what we see. Um, you know, and I, and I do, I think that there's also people out there saying email lists are, are dying and stuff like that. But um but I don't yeah, think that's, that's the true. case. Yeah, it's no, just that's like, not true. You know, just like people blogging about um, blogging being dead. <laughs> yeah. All right. So it's been uh, it's been awesome uh, chatting. Uh, you know, I know that people are going to listen to this and they're going to want to know you know more and 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 what you have to offer on uh, GrahamCochran.com. Where can people uh, where, where can people learn more? What where should people uh, connect with you? Yeah, I mean, I would say go to go to the site GrahamCochran.com, and here's your call to action: download my free training. Uh, get paid to do what you love. I think if you're brand new to business, this is going to show you the the fastest way to transition or pivot from where you are. Maybe it's a job you hate. Maybe it's a business that's not getting off the ground into a thriving business. It's not going to be fast necessarily. It's not going to be easy, but it's very simple. It's three steps to pivot. And then if you're already in a business, it's going to sort of show you the core model. Because here's where I think people go wrong, Davey, is there's so many tactics and strategies and we're consuming so much information about business that we just get, we do all the things and we don't really know what is really the most strategic thing underneath it. And the good thing is that business is very simple. And so in this training, I break down the three things that really drive all business, no matter what you decorate it with or make it look like. And so it might be a helpful refresher for people. And it's a simple 45 minute podcast they can download and just get cracking. Yeah. And so real quick, one thing I do want to ask you about is that you're, I think it's a really like your latest piece of content uh, that you've been creating about, um, what you're consuming and how much you're consuming, uh, content. I love that. It really resonated with me partly because I'm an over consumer, you know, of information. I love reading. I love learning for learning sake. You know, I just like to learn new things and to a certain extent, that's what inspires me and gets me going. And, uh, and whatnot. But at the same time, the downside is, is I, I have a tendency to go from like project to project or, you know, slam things onto my to-do list because I'm, I'm just consuming so much information. Unfortunately, uh, I have a wife who is, um, much, <laughs> she's much better at, uh, filtering, you know, the content that she needs now, you know, and keeping me on track on the idea, you know, on an idea and completing a project before, you know, moving on to another project. Um, so could you talk about that a little bit, you know, just, uh, like how much content somebody, somebody consumes or should be consuming? Yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I'm a lifelong learner. If I could do nothing, but whatever I want to do all day, I'd I'd want to read books all day long. Um, and I'm, information is powerful, but there's a point where at which most people are like bloated and just overstuffed with information and they're not actually doing a lot of production. And business only happens when you do stuff. So you don't need to know much to be successful in business. There's only a few things you need to know, but you need to do a lot of the right things. Um, Herbert Simon is this Nobel Prize winner, brilliant thinker, and he has this amazing quote that always blows my mind. He says that what information consumes is rather obvious. Information consumes attention. Hence, a wealth of information 
creates a poverty of attention. And that's the era we live in. If you have tons of information at your fingertips on your phone or your computer, and if you're consuming tons of information, then you have a void of attention. Mm -hmm. and, And you need to have attention and focus to actually create massive output in your business and life. So I think a lot of people... I think social media is part of the problem, but we willingly just consume or we buy all the courses or go to all the webinars or all the the conferences. And I'm not knocking any of those things, but if that's all you do or 80% of what you do, and then you have a hard time like getting the business off the ground, you might want to look at your lack of attention as because you're consuming so much. You have a wealth of information. And it's, I think underneath all that, and we could talk about this on another day, (laughs) underneath all of that consuming of information is just fear and insecurity that I'm not good enough, or I don't know the right things, and I don't want to make a mistake. And I'm here to just tell you that it's, like, I'm not that smart. And, and business is not, I'm not, I didn't figure this thing out because I'm a genius. Um, and it's not luck either. It's like a real simple, tried and true, serving people, creating value. But I do a few simple things every single week that continue to drive the needle forward. And I ignore most information. I ignore most tactics and strategies. I'm not completely unaware. I just know that I don't need them to drive sales. When you find something that works, just do a lot of it and and protect the attention and focus that you have. Don't, don't let it be consumed by all the information available to you. Yeah, and I think you're such a great example of that showing up creating consistent value for your, uh, for your audience uh, and then repeat, you know? And, uh, you know, I think we met, we met at, um, a business retreat and yeah. uh, where we were all kind of sharing, uh, different stuff that we were, uh, you know, that we had, that were our strong suits. And, uh, and I remember you were, uh, one of the highlights of that business retreat, certainly for me, uh, in what oh. you were teaching, you were talking a lot about email list, uh, email list then. Uh, and then I know you, you spoke at creative at heart, uh, this past conference. And, uh, and I know that you were, um, the talk of, uh, you know, that conference for, for a lot of people and, you know, how, uh, how much they enjoyed your your talk then, and you're back at Creative at Heart this year uh, yes, as well. Yes, they right? let me they let me come back as yeah. a keynote this time. That's great. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that was I think that's a testament to how many people enjoyed your breakout session. Um, mm. That now you're you're back as a keynote. Um, but I remember people filtering out of that and really enjoying that. So um, we have your website, downloading that free audio training. Uh, you're on Instagram and Facebook uh, for sure. Um, yeah. is there anywhere else or did I, have I covered everything there? No, that's it. Yeah. On, on social, it's at the Graham Cochran for Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, at some point, uh, we're going to have to have Shay on here for sure. And, uh, and maybe both of you have all of the videos that you guys are, uh, you guys are doing together. Um, but I encourage everybody, uh, to go to GrahamCochran.com, download that, uh, that free audio training. And I think really regardless of where you are in your business that you're going to find, um, you're going to find value there. So I encourage you to do that, and um, you can find all this stuff in the uh, show notes. Thanks, Graham. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Brands at Book Show. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, make sure you hit the subscribe button.